Chill. We let your pizza slide. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you, you, I'll try again. You can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, as always. So go ahead and follow me over there and make sure you are checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter and on Facebook at Locked On NBA Net. As you're well aware, I now host the Locked On NBA show on Mondays and recorded a great show again. To, well, I think it was a great show. So go and check out that today and uh, and check out the rest of the network as well. What we're going to do in today's show, we're going to recap Sunday's action. We're going to preview Monday's action. We're going to have a look at the week ahead for weekly leagues, for daily changes leagues. Um, and we're also going to shine that player spotlight, and that is going to be back in Memphis. We're at Memphis on Friday. We're back in Memphis today, and it is going to be shone on Jermichael Green of the Memphis Grizzlies. So a very full show coming up. Let's get to it. To it, Michael Bolton, you read my mind. Let's get straight into talking about how this week uh, profiles for the week ahead. Week 21 or week 20, depending on your nomenclature. Legitimately, it is week 21, though it might be matchup 20, but it is week up week 21, and I will uh, stop mentioning that as I go through this stuff all the time. Let's have a look at how the week um, pans out in terms of games played and when those games are played. On Monday, we've got seven games, Tuesday, eight games, Wednesday, seven games, and Thursday, five games. So a really light start to the week. Friday, we've got 10, Saturday, 5, and Sunday, 9. So the week is really backloaded in terms of when the games are played. Normally, we have big Fridays and big Wednesdays, but that's not the case. You can comfortably stream players in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to start the week. You can do it on Saturday as well. You might be able to do it on Sunday. You may be able to do it on Friday, but in all likelihood on Friday, you'll probably have a full lineup. So having your weekly acquisitions and holding them to the end of the week can be useful. But in this case, you're trying to see what you need on a Sunday. You might not actually have a uh, uh, an active roster spot available to stream someone in. So you can save some from Saturday, but getting the most out of those games early in the week when you do have the ability to actually play those players is going to be probably the best way of going about getting your daily changes leagues going. So as I mentioned, there's five streaming days for the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Really weird to say four days in a row like that. And on Saturday as well. And in leagues where, and the majority of leagues should have this, where you have weekly acquisition limits, you need to make the most of those. You need to get the most bang for your buck, and you do that by attacking back-to-backs and pseudo back-to-backs across the NBA. On Monday and Tuesday, there are two teams that have a back-to-back, and that's the Miami Heat and the Portland Trailblazers. They both uh, play on those uh, on those two days, which of course is what a back-to-back is. So there are players who are going to be available on the waiver wire from both of these teams that are going to be able to help you. You know, Kelly Olynyk in Miami. Do you look at Jimmy Johnson? Do you add Dwayne Wade? You're a bit unsure with guys like Bam Adebayo, Tyler Johnson, 
Uh, the Duke Wayne Ellington, whose status we're not sure of for Monday's game yet, but they could have some value there as well. And for Portland, you're looking for a, a defensive boost or a rebounding boost to start the week. You look at Eddie Davis. Zach Collins was awesome in that uh, last Blazers game across the weekend. The Chief El Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, Shabazz Napier, all these guys, you can get some value out of them by getting those two games to begin the week. Then you head to Tuesday, Wednesday, and there's four teams that have got that back-to-back. The Nuggets, the Raptors, the Rockets, and the Pelicans. A lot of those names are going to be pretty straightforward as to who you add. Baby Neck there for Denver. Uh, Wilson Chandler for the uninitiated of you. He's going to be an option there across that back-to-back. For Toronto, you're looking at Jakob Pertl. You're looking at Pascal Siakam, Freddie Van Vliet, perhaps DeLon Wright there. For the Rockets, we're looking at guys, say Eric Gordon was dropped. Um, maybe you look at a PJ Tucker or Luke Marmute. And for the Pelicans, uh, Eats One More is probably going to be your best bet there. You could have a cheeky... Uh, Cheek, cheeky sneak peek at a guy like Czech Diallo who was awesome today, but that's probably not going to work out as well as what you would like. Then, unfortunately, the Wednesday, Thursday back-to-back, there are zero teams participating in that back-to-back, so you can't take any advantage of that uh, scheduling quirk. To end the week, the Thursday-Saturday pseudo back-to-back, we've got five teams with that. We've got the Heat, the Hornets, the Thunder, the Suns, and the Spurs. I talked about the Heat already. On the Hornets, you're looking at guys like Frank the Tank Kaminsky, perhaps Marvin Williams and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, players who aren't good enough to be 12-team league players on their own, but can have some value just to add some stats. Jezza Lamb, also in a good spot. On the Thunder, you're looking at Jeremy Grant, maybe Patrick Patterson, maybe Ray Felton. The Suns, uh, Joshy Jackson, if he's available. Alex Lynn, I don't even know Alex Lynn anymore, to be honest. He played like two minutes today with Tyson Chandler back, which is an extraordinarily curious move. But you can look at a guy like Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris in that scenario. And the Spurs, we're looking at, it depends on what the injury situation is. Is Aldridge playing? Then you'd be looking at a, a Davis Bertans or a, a Joffrey Laverne, Manu, Dan Green, Pat Mills. They can all have value there at the back end of the week. In terms of a team like the Heat, all four of their games this week come on the quality games, on the low schedule day. So that is a sensational schedule, as opposed to a team like the Nuggets, who also plays four games, but you can only use those guys generally. On, uh, on two days. So you're you know, debating, do I add Kaliolinik or do I add Mason Plumley, for example? Two relatively, well, not necessarily equivalent, but potentially equivalent big men. You take a Linick there because you're going to have the opportunity to play him four times, whereas for Plumley, you might only get to see him out there twice on your team. The same thing goes for a team like the Kings, who play three games, but only one of those games is a quality game day, whereas the Suns, the Spurs, the Thunder, all three of their games are on the low-volume day. So players like Marquise Chris, they might actually have more value than Scal Bissier this week, depending on where Scal fits in. And if you're in you know, a sudden-death playoff mode, getting one active game out of Bissier this week, will three games of Marquise Chris be worth it? Now, I know that he can foul out and be done in 15 minutes, but... Three fifteens is 45 minutes, and Scal's not getting that in one game. So that's a really important thing to pay attention to when looking at it. It's not like Labissiere, I definitely want him over Marquise Chris if everything's equal. But if I'm playing him once, and I'm playing Chris three times, depending on how my roster looks, of course, then the three times does win out. So it is really important that you do pay attention to that when looking at your streaming strategy and who you're going to be adding for the week. In a weekly changes league, the majority of teams play three games. There's only one team that's got a two-game week, and that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. The only guy that's really going to be locked into lineups is going to be Carl Anthony Towns. Wigo won't be. Obviously, Jim Butler's out. 
Jeff Teague's not going to be one of those guys. Nemanja Bielitsa. We already know the Wolves have got a pretty shit-house fantasy schedule, and this two-game week is uh, is a big part of that. Um, Taj Gibson's another guy that you might need to move on from. The teams that play four games, we've got the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Heat, Cavs, Raptors, Jazz, Warriors, Bulls, Magic, Rockets, Pacers, Pelicans, and Grizzlies, and everyone else has three. That's the Hornets, the Kings, Clippers, Sixers, Bucks, Blazers, Nets, Mavericks, Thunder, Celtics, Pistons, Knicks, Hawks, Suns, Spurs, and the Washington Wizards all play three games for this upcoming week, week 21 in fantasy basketball. All right, let's uh, look at a few of the teams that I wasn't going to talk about in this, or that I normally wouldn't have talked about in this podcast because they don't play Sunday or don't play Monday, but we'll give a bit of a recap of what happened with them over the weekend. The first one of those such teams is the Houston Rockets, who had a huge win over the Celtics. I talked about that on Locked On uh, NBA today with Ben DuBose of Locked On Rockets. Eric Gordon was awesome. He hit seven triples and scored 29 points, but didn't do anything else. 62% 62% shooting is unrealistic. He's a great points and three streamer. There's no doubt about that, but he doesn't do enough in another in enough areas and still only played 27 minutes in this game. And to me, in a 10-team league, I definitely wouldn't be having him as a must-own guy. And in a 12, I reckon you're better off having that spot as a streaming option. Still no Ryan Anderson, so PJ Tucker, he looks like locked in as the starting power forward anyway, but he's not a fantasy option, nor is Luke Marmute. Well, Joe Johnson was down at 13 minutes and Gerald Green, of course, out of the rotation, which was always destined to happen, uh, despite the protestations of some people when Green was going off earlier in the year. The Denver Nuggets, another team that played well over the weekend, a huge win over the Cleveland Cavaliers for them. Trey Lyles out of the rotation in one of their games across the weekend, an interesting development there. Uh, Nikola Jokic, we hate the fact that he's averaging only 6.5 field goal attempts in those two games with Paul Millsap starting, averaging just 9, 8, and 6 and a half across the weekend, and he had a triple half uh, across those games. Shot the ball poorly as well. I think he will bounce back. But I was worried about the introduction of Millsap. You've heard me criticize Michael Malone and Millsap himself to a degree for the stubbornness of the way Millsap plays and the consistent going to of post-ups from Millsap uh, from Malone as well when you've got the number one offense in the league when you should just let it roll. Gaz Harris was absolutely fantastic. No! And Farton Will Barton continued his strong play. As for Baby Neck Wilson Chandler, I think now with everyone healthy, he's going to be a tough 12-team league guy to hold on to, I believe. The Golden State Warriors, there's very little to talk about with them. Jordan Bell's not really playing, only seven minutes. He's playing, but he's only playing seven minutes. Any fanciful hopes you had of him getting a a 25-minute-a-night guy, it's just not going to transpire this season. So he is just a deeper league guy at best at at this point. And then we move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who unveiled their newest signing, Corey Brewer. He took Terrence Ferguson out of the rotation over the weekend. He did absolutely nothing apart from get two steals. He's not going to have a role, really, in fantasy. It's just much of the same. Westbrook, George, Adams. Uh, Mello did rest across the weekend with Patrick Patterson starting. He didn't do a massive amount there. And very them and the Warriors are two teams that just such so little actually changes for them across the fantasy landscape. The value is really concentrated in four guys, and then there's very, very little else apart from that. The fifth team to do on the weekend recap is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns um, wasn't wasn't his best game because he got ejected. Jeff Teague also got ejected in that uh, in that game for the Wolves. So we saw some you know, differences in terms of the minutes distribution. Bielitsa played forty five minutes, just ludicrousness. 
Uh, Gorgie Jean got a boost. Uh, Tyus Jones played extra minutes, but nothing to really say, look, I'm changing everything here in terms of my fantasy evaluation of this team. One thing I will tell you is that Jamal Crawford uh, is not a 12-team league guy and shouldn't even really sniff that area um, because he's just not that good anymore. And that's uh, that's just a reality of how he is. The monstrous line of the night it looked for all intents and purposes that it was going to be Anthony Davis, but it ends up being Toby Harris, who had 26 and 8 in the late game, two triples, two assists, three steals, three blocks, 11 of 19 from the field, and he hit both of his free throws. He has been superb this season, but absolutely fantastic since arriving for the Clippers. He's the 62nd ranked player for the season, but in the last month, in 12 games, 25th overall, averaging uh, 19 points per game, but doing it really efficiently. 48% from the field, over two threes, seven rebounds, well up. And that's the difference. Andre Drummond's a, a great rebounder. Andre Jordan's a very good rebounder. But Drummond just sucks in so many rebounds that players that go and play alongside him always see their rebound total dip. We've seen it with Harris when he went from Orlando to Detroit. We saw it with Avery Bradley. We saw it with Ersan Ilyasova. And now that Harris is in LA, his rebounds have jumped by one and a half per game. And that's helping his value. His steals are well up in the Clippers system. And he's actually blocking some shots, 0.8 per game, which is not something that he was ever really doing. As a member of the Pistons, the efficiency is still fine, 41% from three. He has had a truly, truly tremendous season, and there's very little to suggest that he won't continue to play this well for the Clippers down the stretch. The waiver wire line of the night and the young gun of the night goes to someone who is very, very clearly and firmly in the classification of, of one of my boys, and that is Karis LeVert of the Brooklyn Nets, 27-5-5 five and five with five triples, two steals, and a block, 11 of 19 from the field for LeVert. You know that I've been pumping this guy up for quite a while, and his role has been fairly minimal with D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie both getting 30-plus minutes per night, but with the Nets starters absolutely sucking in this game against the Clippers... Kenny Atkinson rode the bench a lot heavier, and Levert responded. He was awesome earlier in the season when he was playing that primary pack backup point guard role behind Spencer Dinwiddie, and then he got hurt and came back into a situation where um, D'Angelo Russell had returned, and he was losing out his minutes. I still really believe in him. He can be a scorer who hits threes, gets rebounds, gets assists, and gets steals, and does it efficiently. Really, all those things are things you want to hear about from a fantasy point of view. He can do it. He can be a top 50 guy at some point in his career, but when will he ever find himself in a role large enough? Now, as stupid as this sounds, it's hard for him to find that role on the Nets, a team that is really bad. And if you think, if this guy is so good, why can't he demand 35 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game on a bad Nets team? Well, his second season. He's still coming back from the foot injury, and they're investing in D'Angelo Russell. They like what they see from Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously, there's a big financial investment in the blue swimmer, Alan Crabb, as well, but I'll continue to... um, say that I think Levert is a significantly better player than what Crabb is, and it's going to be interesting to see how he goes over the next season or two. Uh, This is great. I wouldn't be adding him in 12 teams or probably even 14 team leagues based on the back of this, because it did come uh, with those extra minutes because the starters struggled so much. In those previous games, he hadn't played anywhere near that, 21, 19, and 20 in his three games back since injury. And this is not a case of, well, he was just coming back. Now let's ramp the minutes up. It was a, 
we're just going to run with this bench because they're playing well sort of a situation. But this is what he can do. This is why I have faith in him long term. It's just going to be how does this actually ever come to pass? And that could be the struggle with him ever reaching that ceiling, which I believe is significantly high. And I think that he does have, uh, I think he can be a really, really strong starter on a decent team. And, and that's that's decent. And then he can turn himself into a, a, a very, very usable fantasy option. The dud of the night is his teammate. D'Angelo Russell had 6-5-3 with a triple. He was one of six from the field, three of four from the line. He was benched down the stretch, didn't play at all in the fourth quarter, only 20 minutes for the game. But if we look back over the previous five games, he'd played 29-32, 29-32, and 38 minutes. So the minutes aren't too much of a concern. Yes, he can throw up the occasional stinker, but his last two games before this one, 15-2-11, 25, 5, and 6 with two steals. Two really strong games prior to that. I don't think there's anything to really read into too much with this sort of performance, and I'd expect a decently strong finish to the season as long as you're ready to accept and absorb a pretty miserable field goal percentage, which has been, uh, since he came back, sitting at under 40% on decent usage and 23% type usage which does make it uh, tough to absorb if you aren't already punting that category. So keep an eye on that, but don't overreact too much to this performance. I think that Russell can be a top 40 guy, at least a top 40 punt field goal percentage guy next season and should all, should comfortably be a top 100 guy. But let's see what they view of him, how they develop him, what happens with Dinwiddie so, and Jeremy Lin. There's so many question marks with this Nets backcourt heading into next season, and Russell is one of those question marks as well. Let's uh, go into these games now. Let's talk about these box scores from the seven games from uh, from Sunday's action. The first one, a wild game, a, a crazy game, to be honest. Phoenix and Atlanta. We had Alfred Payton and Isaiah Taylor ejected. Malcolm Delaney hurt his ankle. He was out for the game. Let's start with the Phoenix side of things. Devin Booker missed a key free throw late and then couldn't hit the game winner, so they ended up losing by one point, although I'm sure a lot of Suns fans aren't too disappointed with the end result. Marquise Chris, I still think he's a bad player. Uh, no... No denying that's, you know, you've heard me say that plenty of times. But what I've also said plenty of times is that he, if he's on the court, he will put up fantasy stats. And he played 18 minutes here, had 17 points, which included four triples and four blocks. He had five rebounds and a steal, but even playing as well as he was, he still only saw 18 minutes. And that's a really troubling and worrying sign for his position in the organization. I'm not rushing to grab Chris after this. Sure, deep dynasty leagues, I'm out of contention. Hey, let's see what happens. Maybe he gets it together next season. But this is a good indication of what he actually can do. It's just that it happens so infrequently. Since TJ Warren has been back, Josh Jackson has seen his minutes really reduced, which I just cannot understand the incessant playing of TJ Warren, 40 minutes. He played 42 in this one. He played 40 plus in the other game back. You know, you take six, seven minutes off those, give them to Josh Jackson, and then you're at 35 and 33, and everybody's happy. I am not the biggest Jackson fan. You've heard me say that I do like TJ Warren, but this sort of minute split is ridiculous. Jackson has been playing fairly well, and the game when Warren was out, Jackson was excellent and played big minutes. There's no need for 42 minutes for TJ Warren. Now, he was great. 35 and 4, efficient stuff, which is what he does. Nothing else. 
but everything else was good. Well, Jackson had 10 and 4 in 25 minutes and actually shot the ball well. Just opportunities were less with that uh, different configuration, and I don't understand it. I also don't understand bringing Tyson Chandler back. No, that's not true. I understand bringing him back. He's going to play. We get this. But he came back. He started. He played 26 minutes, and Alex Len played two minutes. Now, you could definitely say... Or no, you could infer from this that Alex Land is not anywhere close to being in the Suns' future plans, and I would agree with that. But Tyson Chandler isn't either. Even though he's still under contract, he has got nothing to do with their future plans. So surely, surely more than two minutes is what you'd give Alex Land, who'd be who played pretty well in uh, Chandler's absence. But if this is going to be the way things roll, then uh, it's pretty hard to hold on to him. He's only getting 25, 26 minutes a night with Chandler out. And... Chandler's back. The big source, Alan Williams, could be returning at some point this month. It's really going to be tough to hold on to Lenny. Uh, Dragon Bender had 6, 5, and 8. His assist numbers are... He's putting up some surprising assist numbers, but they're not that surprising when you understand how well this guy passes. I just wouldn't be expecting that all the time. While Lord Alfred Payton, the March specialist, had 10, uh, 11, 10, and 14 with a steal and a block, but he is a much different player in Phoenix than what he is in Orlando. And I do give credit to Jay Triano for having faith in him and allowing him to do what uh, he's best at. Devin Booker wasn't his best night, 20 points with three assists. On to the Hawks. The artist formerly known as Torian Prince is, uh, is killing it. He went through a significant slump earlier in 2018, but at the moment, it's it's impossible pretty much to leave him on the wire. 22-5 and five with six triples, two assists, and a block. This is a strong stretch of games, and he has to be owned. This was as egregious tanking as we have seen from any team this season, I believe. Kent Bazemore rested. Again, no, absolutely zero reason for that. And Dennis Schroeder played 24 minutes. Schroeder was playing well. He shot 56%. He had 21, 6, and 6. Really good numbers. Malcolm Delaney got injured out for the game with an ankle sprain. Schroeder didn't come back in. Isaiah Taylor replaced him, then got ejected. Dennis Schroeder then also didn't come in. So your second string point guard and your third string point guard were both out of the game. Instead, you ran with a 10-day contract shooting guard, Jalen Morris as your point guard with Tyler Dorsey out there. Just as blatant a tank bullshit as we have seen. Now, you look at this and you can start panicking about Schroeder. You, you could think that. But the game prior to that, he played 37 minutes. The game prior to that, he played 32 minutes. So his minutes are up and down. He's been under 30 in two of, as in three of the last five games. But then those other two games, he played big minutes. And it appears that when they play the, the better team, so the Pacers and the Warriors, he was up over 30. You play the bad team, you limit him to try and you know, make sure that you don't win a game that you should potentially lose. That could be the thinking here, and that is something to pay attention to, especially for, you, for the DFS guys. The Undertaker and the Baptist, the starting front court, they only played 22 minutes apiece. That's Dwayne Dedman and John Collins for you uninitiated they were dragged very early on in the third quarter for some poor defense almost in the first minute or two minutes of that quarter, putting Mike Muscala and Miles Plumlee in there. That's why Plumlee played 26 minutes. Just It's crazy, but we understand what the Hawks are trying to do. But surely, just develop these guys. And it, it, it does bother me uh, from that sort of sense when Plumlee has no business being on an NBA court tanking or otherwise. 
still be holding the, the the Baptist. As for the Undertaker, yes, but there are guys that I would add over him, say Larry Nance in Cleveland, which we're going to talk about later. I'll just talk about now because uh, Tristan Thompson has got an ankle injury and he is going to miss multiple games. I don't know if that's two. I don't know if that's 10. But for now, if Nance stays out of foul trouble, they've got no centers, no Kevin Love, no Tristan Thompson. If Nance stays out of foul trouble, he's getting 35 a night and he will smash the top 50 in that time. He could get 5,015 minutes and be really limited. And then we see some Ante Zizic, perhaps. Or we're going to see a lot more LeBron at center. But there's a massive chance for Nance, and I would add him over the Undertaker um, in, in most situations. It might be two games, but I think you've got to take that flyer on a guy like that. I would be less hesitant, or sorry, I'd be more hesitant to do it with Collins because I feel like Collins' upside is higher. And that risk of, well, where's Collins' upside versus what if it's only two games for Nance? Which way do I go? I'd be finding a way to get Nance onto my team, though, in most of those cases. The next game we look at, the Indiana Pacers and the Washington Wizards. The Pacers, man, they are the four seed in the Eastern Conference. It is absolutely wild how well they're playing. 33-7-3 for Victor Oladipo with three steals. He'd been shit at shooting the three in February and in January, but he hit all his shots here. Well, not all of them. He hit 50% of them and, again, steals every single game. He's the league leader in steals. When Boyan Bogdanovich played 38 and had 20-4 and four with three triples and two steals. We know he provides points. He can provide threes. He can be hot and cold. And I think when Trevor Booker debuts, which should be tomorrow uh, or today, Monday, whichever day you're listening to this, uh, Bogdanovich might see his minutes dip a little bit. Miles Turner also had played big minutes, 38 minutes, 12 and 13. Foul trouble's the real enemy here for Turner. It wasn't a great game for him, but at least he was on the court. And DeMontis Sabonis down to 18. And it feels like he's only going to play big minutes in games where Turner is dealing with foul trouble, and it's pretty hard to rely upon that. Lance Stevenson, only 10 minutes. He's just not very good. While Corey Joseph had 16-5-2, shot the ball well, 38 minutes, great stuff. But when Daz Collison returns, most likely on Wednesday, um, yeah, we're just going to see Joseph's minutes come back down, and he needs you know, huge minutes to actually even get close to sniffing standard league value. Kelly Oubre Jr. was a surprise omission in this game with a sore foot. With him out, Bradley Beal played 43 minutes. We saw boosts for Mike Scott and for Jody Meeks. We know why those boosts were there. because Oubre was out, so nothing to really read too much into that. Otto Porter continued his stellar run, 17-8 and with four steals, while Beal had 22-3-11 and three steals. And Markeith Morris... Strong form continued. Only 28 minutes for Morris, but 12 and 7 with two threes. He he does have a place in 12 team leagues. Thomas Satsaransky, lots of tweets. Oh, do I drop Thomas? I, I still wouldn't in most cases. He was really limited in this game with foul trouble. Four fouls in 22 minutes. Had 7, 2, and 1. But I guess in a shallow league, you can you can entertain that idea of dropping Satsaransky. The last couple of games have been a little bit lean from him. But this one, it wasn't a benching. It was a foul trouble issue that was the, the major factor in why he played so few minutes. The Charlotte Hornets and the Toronto Raptors. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Marvin Williams continue to play really, really low minutes. Just 19 here for... Uh, sorry, uh, near 19 for Kid Gilchrist, 22 for Williams, did nothing as you'd expect. And that meant that more minutes were available for Jezza Lamb, who had 16 in 26 minutes with two assists, a steal, and a block. The other thing that worked in Lamb's favor in this one is that since Trevion Graham started a couple of games ago and was disgustingly bad, they haven't played him over 10 minutes with some of those extra ones going to Jez there. He's an excellent point streamer, Lamb. 
but not really a guy that I look at as I must own him and must hold him. Nick Batum had 10, 6, and 8. That's solid. While Frank the Tank had 15 and 4, and he is a, a nice 12-point streamer as well, 12-team streamer. Dwight Howard, shithouse, 10 and 10, played fewer minutes than Cody Zeller, just seemed disinterested in times, and we've seen him really pack shit in at the end of seasons when things aren't going well. So keep an eye on that. You're not dropping Dwight, of course. You're not adding Cody Zeller because he's a guy that needs probably 32 or 33 minutes to be a top 100 guy. But um, they're just, that's an interesting situation to watch develop. Over the past couple of weeks, for the Raptors, Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl have been the two big men really producing, but in this game, it was the starters, Serge Barker and Jonas Valanciunas. 17-8 and 8 for Serge with three blocks, while Big Jonas had 18-13 and 13 with two blocks in 30 minutes in a huge game against Dwight. Big numbers from them. Make sure they are owned. Were guys like Pertl and uh, Siakam, Siakam had 7-2 and two and Pertl had... No points with three rebounds, but still had the three blocks. This is why it's hard to consider a guy like Pirtle Mustone. Sure, his field goal percentage was sky high. He was blocking shots, and he did it again here, but just a real cap on what he can do. Did not even take a single shot here, so didn't do what one of his big strengths is, and that's helping you in field goal percentage. So don't be wrapped up in considering him a Mustone guy. Malcolm Miller, that's a real player. He started in place of the Jedi, OG Ananobi. Hello there. Um, Norman Powell started the previous game, but they decided to mix things up. It looks like OG is going to be out for at least another game. Uh, you might see Miller. You might see CJ Miles. Unlikely. You might see Norm Powell back in that role, but whoever it is, they're not going to be standard league relevant. Lowry had 14 and 10. DeRozan had 19, 4 and 8. Just strong games from the uh, usual suspects. The New Orleans Pelicans and Dallas Mavericks. Tone Davis, man. This guy just keeps cranking it out. 23 and 13. Three steals. Three blocks. This Pelicans team has now won eight games in a row. They are pushing to, amazingly, again, pushing towards home court advantage ahead of teams like the Thunder, like the Timberwolves. It just seems ridiculous how well he is playing. He is just behind Jim Harden as the number one fantasy player this season and just putting up numbers after numbers after numbers, doing absolutely everything. Even in this game, there was no Emeka Okafor, so yeah, God forbid he had to play center. Although, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Anthony Davis and you know praise him all the time. But the fact that the Pelicans had to go out and name Miritich as the starting center, so he didn't, so Davis didn't get labeled as a center, is just a extraordinarily petty piece of PR. And I don't know why Davis wouldn't go make him a center so he can get that All NBA nod. I I it is it is so bizarre that he's going. I don't want to be a center. You're a center. Okay, you're a center. I don't give a shit what you say. You're a center. As for Miritic, he started over Okafor because he was out 24 and 5 with six triples and a block. That's way more encouraging. His last few games, the minutes had been down. I don't know how long Okafor is going to be out at this point, but I'm still holding Miritic and hoping that he gets the 30 a night. I love what I saw from Shek Diallo. You know I'm a big Diallo fan. I thought he should be playing over Okafor. Thought he should have been playing ahead of Ashik earlier in the season. This is why. 13 and 15 with three steals on six of nine shooting. He can hit threes as well. Uh, he can block shots, and he didn't in this game. If he ever got 30 minutes, he'd be a very, very comfortable top 70 fantasy guy, I believe. It's hard to do that, obviously, with DeMarcus Cousins around, Miritich, Anthony Davis, all these guys who are ahead of him. But he's a name to watch if he ever finds himself shipped off, off somewhere. Cousins doesn't re-sign, Miritich goes, or whatever the case is. Diallo is a very, very interesting player, and we saw why here. Rajon Rondo had 14, 9, and 10. Another strong night from him. He should be owned everywhere, while Etwan Moore is more of a 14 to 16 team league guy. Also, shout out to Drew Holiday, who had 30 points on 63% shooting. 
for the Mavs, Dennis Smith. That's why I love Dennis Smith coming into the draft. 23-5-8. The field goal percentage, yeah, it's a real pain in the ass, but at least he hit his free throws. Um, he's scoring with volume. He looked really, really good. Yeah, 39% usage is sky high, but we're really impressed with this, and he is a must-own if you're punting field goals. You might not be able to deal with it otherwise, but yeah, he is putting up big numbers. Dirk, 23-7 and seven with three triples, a strong game. And he, of course, he does have 12-team league value. It's right at the back end. And do you want someone who might be your 13th best guy and then have a good game and go to your 12th best guy? Mm, that's debatable. And it depends on the structure of your team and your league and your opponent and where you are in the standing and all that stuff. There was no Wes Matthews in this game, so Yogi Ferrell started. He was putrid. Five points in 23 minutes. Well, J.J. Barea, his minutes have definitely trended down. 13 points with three threes and four assists. Now, if you're just desperate for assists... Ferrell is a guy that you can keep owning, although I'd be happy to switch him for a guy, say, DJ Augustine in Orlando as a starting point guard. Berea's minutes have started to tumble. But, um, yeah, so if you do want to drop him, uh, it's something you can consider. Dwight Powell started again, five points with 11 boards. I'd still be holding him on Nerland's Noel. 18 minutes for Noel, 4-8 and eight with a steal. We know, much like Marquise Chris, that he can produce when he gets the minutes. Will he be able to get more minutes than this? It's looking like he might push towards 20. I still don't think that's enough, but if he gets 25, then yeah, that's a 12-team league guy to look at. The pencil Harrison Barnes had 18-6, and six, just really substandard, ho-hum, below-average type, of, maybe not substandard, below-average, and that's I feel like that is absolutely what his ceiling is. The Philadelphia 76 has just choked away this game against the Bucks. Sharich was great, 25 and 6 with four triples on 82% shooting, and Bob Cove bringing the defense nine points, but three threes, two steals, two blocks—exactly what you want from him. Simmons had 12, 5, and 15 also, and uh, Joel Embiid 19 and 8 with two blocks. So decent performances from their big names, but just struggles from everyone else. McConnell, Ilya Sova, JJ Redick had 17 with four triples, so he was good, but they. Just couldn't get it done down the stretch. Really, really poor execution from the Sixers to give this game up. Onto the Bucks side of things, Jason Terry didn't start, but he still did play 26 minutes. Had nine points, which all came from three. Had a steal and a block. Um, when Matty Delvadova comes back and Brogdon comes back, he probably won't play. Shabazz Muhammad didn't play in this one. I just don't think Muhammad's going to see the court for this team at all. Terry is realistically just a deep league streamer. Tyler Zeller seemed to have taken over Thon McCurr's role as the backup center, but then he got smacked by Embiid late in this game and hurt his hip, went to the locker room and didn't return. If that's the case, if he misses, then we're going to see McCurr get an elevated role and more minutes go back to John Henson, who played just 22. He had 11 and 4 here, the Muppet, with two steals. Uh, Henson's an interesting borderline 12-team league guy who I've been big on all year, but this three-center stuff is, uh, is really starting to cut in. Bledsoe had 22-5-7. Yanni had 35-9-7. So big games from those guys. Well, Jabari Parker barely sided in the first half, but played excellently in the second half. 21 minutes, 13-7 with three triples. I have a feeling the lower minutes in this one is because it's the first half of a back-to-back. We'll see what they do with him on Monday, but he should be playing more than this, and I imagine that he will be uh, come the, uh, the next time they play that isn't a back-to-back. The Brooklyn Nets and the Clippers... Damari Carroll, 20-7 and seven with six triples. The only started to really produce uh, well for this team. He should be owned in 12-team as well. 32 minutes for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Was helped by that bench run. Uh, had 15-8-5 with two blocks. We know what he can do. We know what his potential is. It's just, is he a 22-minute guy for now? Is he back to 29 or 30? I would, If he's on my wire, I would own him. 
Jumping Joe Harris had 19 with three triples, while Spencer Dinwiddie, not a good offensive game, just six points and missed all six of his shots. But five rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, still getting it done. The Blue Swimmer had six points. Alan Crabb in 29 minutes, get rid of him in 12 team leagues. While Jarrett Allen, only 17 minutes, turned the ball over a ton, and that limited his playing time. 17 and three in those 17 minutes, when prior to that, he'd been putting up some good numbers. For the Clippers, they declined to convert Tyrone Wallace's contract, two-way contract, to a regular contract. So for now, he will not be able to play with the Clippers until the G League season is over, which is March 24th is the last day of the G League season. And after that, he can go back to the Clippers and play until the end of the regular season. Unless he gets converted to a full-time contract, then he won't be able to play in the playoffs should the Clippers make it. CJ Williams is in a similar boat. He was sent down to the G League in this game, and they signed Sean the Sexy Boy Kilpatrick. So Kilpatrick currently has that roster spot, which they would have used to convert Wallace or Williams. So we're looking at at least the next 10 days that Neither of those guys are going to be converted. I'd heard rumors that there were contract negotiation breakdowns between the Clippers and Wallace, and it's unlikely that he gets converted. I'm not sure with Williams. The only one who'd even really sniff 12-team value is Ty Wallace, especially with the rooster out for two more weeks, Dinala Gallinari, and Avery Bradley out for more time with that uh, groin issue. Austin Rivers was great, 27-5. and five. He's a 12-teamer. I talked about Toby Harris already. Lou Williams dropped 21 with three steals. And the table, Montrez Harrell, 11 points, didn't miss a shot, but only played 14 minutes in this one. Just, again, a real borderline standard league guy. I'd push him more to deeper leagues. Milosh Teodosic, 29 minutes for Milosh, 14-2-4. Avery Bradley's return will hurt him, but points, threes, and steals. Oh, I forgot assists. Points, steals, threes, and assists is where he can help you. So have a look to see how he works. Well, Wes Johnson started, played 11 minutes, had three steals. We know he brings the defense, but he just he's not going to get big minutes. That's just not the way that Doc has been using him this season. The last game of the night, the New York Knicks and the Sacramento Kings. They were going to change the starting lineup, but Jeff Hornacek, man, he was, uh, he was back in action. My name is Jeff. And didn't. Um, and then just split the minutes evenly between every player pretty much. Michael Beasley, 25 minutes, 6 points. You can go ahead and drop him in all 12 team leagues. Ennis Cantor had 14 and 16 in 22. You're not dropping him. The Cock Monster, Kyler Quinn, had 14, 8 and 4, 2 steals and 3 blocks. That is obviously a tremendous performance from O'Quinn. And given the minutes are trending up for him, I've got no issue with just having a look at him in a 12 team league and seeing what happens. Trey Burke had 11, 2 and 6, shot the ball well, had 2 blocks. Honestly, an extraordinary game from Burke. He is a borderline 12 team league guy. I'd have him, I'd probably have him over a guy like uh, Ish Smith, uh, over a Corey Joseph, definitely. As well, while Manny Moutier started, played 19 minutes, missed all six of his shots and had three assists. So the mismanagement of the young guards by the Knicks continues. Frankie Nilakina, they want him to be a shooting guard now, apparently. Seven, one, and five, not a 12-team league. I'd, I'd hold Moutier in some 12-teamers, but not in all of them. On to the Kings. Uh, the resting stuff, it's just going to keep happening. It's We don't know when it's going to happen. At this point, Zach Randolph is resting every second game, but this was a back-to-back for the Kings, and Vince Carter played over 20 minutes in both of them. So the logic is really hard to wrap your head around. In fact, it's impossible to wrap your head around. 
Costa Kufos started in this game with Willie Cauley-Stein out. He, him and Scal Libisier started. It's very likely that in the next game, Randolph will be back and Libisier will lose seven or eight minutes and move back to the bench in one of the more nonsense-type development moves that you can have. Libisier, 14-6 and six with three blocks, hit the game-winning three, looked good. Um, Kufos, 12-8, and eight, yeah, solid when he gets that opportunity. Bogdan Bogdanovich must own. 22 with seven assists, while Budrick had 12-4, and four, Buddy Heal, that is... 27 minutes solid and is a 12-team league guy. But relying upon the Kings to give accurate and timely information and understanding how these rotations are going to go, it's just not something how it's not something you're going to be able to get grab a handle of because it, it's going to change all the time. Randolph is not a 12 or 14-team league guy. And he's somehow owned in 60% of leagues. That should not be the case. He needs to be cast aside because if you're only getting if he's only playing every second game. He is of no use to anybody in that sort of a situation. Let's uh, let's do go play a spotlighting now, and we're going to head to Memphis and look at Jermichael Green of those Memphis Grizzlies. He's a player who uh, I don't know. Maybe I've been unfairly critical of him. That's that's definitely a possibility. He wasn't great to start the season, but recently he started to come on. But as so many things that actually happen with this Grizzlies team, it's hard to get a full um, a full grasp on their whole scenario because of everyone being injured, because of the whole the whole squad pretty much being uh, being injured. And that's really something that's it's hard to get a to handle on. Over the last five games, Green's played 33 minutes per game, and he is a top 75 player in that time. 13 and a half points and 11 rebounds. And one thing I will get him cre- give him credit for, he's a very good rebounder. But he's also improved some other areas of his game in that time. A s- 0.8 steals per game, one block per game, two assists per game, shooting 42% from the field um, and 82 from the line. But over the course of the year, in 27 minutes per game, he's only the 150th ranked player. And when all these guys come back, when Mark Gasol is there, when Deontay Davis is playing, when um, these guys on the wing, when Andy Harrison, Tyreek Evans are back, and it pushes guys like Chandler Parsons more to the fore, and Jarrell Martin is eating into the power forward minutes, I'm just not sure when Green is going to be able to play these sort of minutes. But in saying that, he's double-doubled in five consecutive games. That's awesome. And his last game makes him look like an excellent player. 10, 13, and 7 with 3 steals and 2 blocks. That's not what he does, though. He doesn't get assists like that. He His previous season high for assists had been uh, 3. So he, he just doesn't do that. The steals, in the 3 previous games before this, 0 steals. And then had 3 in this game. He's had back-to-back 2 uh, games in a row of 2 blocks. But then in his previous... Um, uh, let's count those up. In his previous seven games, he had two blocks combined. So these are not big strengths of Jermichael Green. He is, a, a, a again, if these guys remain injured, if Gasol misses more time, if Deontay Davis is out, if the guys on the wing miss time, then he's going to play 30 minutes a night. But if they get back healthy, and none of them are ruled out for any periods of time, any length of time, he's going to be back into a 25 or 26-minute role, and his numbers are going to dip to maybe like 8 points, 8 rebounds, half a steal, half a block on subpar percentages, just something you want absolutely nothing to do with. He's also much older than what many people will think. He's almost turning 28 
Um, hasn't been in the league that long. So, yeah, while he can improve, he's past the point where most things are going to start to develop with his game. And, you know, a guy like Jarrell Martin's like four or five years younger than Jermichael Green and has got more, and I think he's a better player and more scope to improve. His defensive, you know, his advanced numbers, defensive stuff, they're okay. Nothing stands out as being particularly sensational. The team is five and a half points better off this season when he sits on the bench. Again, that digs into part of what I say about me believing is Jarrell Martin has been a better player than him this season. I don't really value Jermichael Green as a long-term asset for this team or for any other team, although over the next week, he might have top 100 fantasy value. And then next year, he will likely slide back out and be the 170th ranked player as he gets 26 minutes per night or he's out of the rotation because they've drafted a rookie and they've got Jarrell Martin and they're their two options. So this little run that he's having here where he's shown an increased ability to get to block some shots. He's seen his usage go up. He's getting some steals. He's doing a bit more. The rebounds are really nice and those double-double bonuses can really help in double-double leagues. But overall, when I look at Jermichael Green, I just think he's a serviceable 10th best man on a team in general. And even on this Grizzlies team, who's not very good, he's not like he's their third best player or anything like that. He might be their sixth best player when everyone's healthy. And that's just a guy who's a a low defensive stat, low efficiency, low usage, high rebounder. Most of the time, that's not doing anything for you. But of course, as I said, the current right here, right now circumstances are leading to a significant boost in his production. Just don't expect it, or I don't expect it, to continue along this sort of trajectory unabated. We'll see. Um, he's had a couple of stretches before. He's also had a couple of stretches of absolutely putrid sort of beha- uh, not behavior uh, performances. And you know, that I think he's more likely to go back to this. I don't think this is a sudden turnaround in what he can do or anything along those lines. Let's go into the um, perfect DFS lineups now. We will start on Fangio. Uh, the point guards, Rajon Rondo, 38.8, and Dennis Smith, 40. The two shooting guards, Bradley Beal, 49.1. Always a good opportunity with Wheel and, uh, Wall and Ubre out. Uh, and Karis Levert out of nowhere, 47.5. The two small forwards, Otto Porter, 38.6, and Yanni Adedokumpo at 61.3. At power forward, good luck if you chuck Czech Diallo in there. Although, in a tournament with Okafor out, it's worth a look. 39.5 for Diallo, and Toby Harris had 54.6. And at center, it was Cock at 42.6, a total of 412, and that cost $59,100. On DraftKings, Levert had 48.25 and Drew had 44.75. Yanni, 61.25. Diallo, 39.75. Cock, 39. Rajon Rondo, 42.25. Toby Harris, 51. And DeAndre Jordan had 44.25 and that cost 370.5 for a total of $49,800. All right, let's go on to a Monday, a seven-game Monday, the perfect amount of games for DFS. So you know, feel pretty good about uh, about looking at your lineups. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's exactly the sort of number of games that we want. The Cavs are favored by seven. They are struggling at the moment. Yet again, not the Pistons are necessarily going too much better. The total is 218.5 in this game at point guard. I've already talked about it earlier on. If you didn't hear, Tristan Thompson is out for the Cavs. So I'm assuming we're getting Larry Nance starting. At point guard, George Hill's at 5,200. Are we getting 30-minute George Hill? We're getting 22-minute George Hill. The odds would tell us we're getting 30 
um, 30 minute George Hill based on the uh, the amount of times that's happened recently, but we don't know. And that's why it's hard to use him in cash. At 5,200, he can very, very easily have 30 points and that's a great win, but he plays 22 minutes, he might get 22 points and then your, your value is really kicked in the ass. Ish Smith's at 5,900, I'd take Hill over him pretty comfortably despite how uh, porous the Cavs point guard defense has been. Smith is just not that good. Dwight Bikes at 41, Langston Galloway at 35. They're not really worth looking at. At shooting guard, Rocket Rodney Hood's at 46. You'd only be using him in a tournament. And even then, there are better guys out there, such as Kyle Corver at 3,900. With the lack of big men and LeBron having to push up at center more, Corver, a bigger body that can defend some bigger bodies, he should get some more playing time, or at least more than the seven minutes that he played in that last game. And Jeff Green is out of this game too. So the 3,900 for Corver makes him an interesting tournament sort of a guy. Jordy Clarkson at 47. I just don't think there's very much upside and there's a low floor. That's a terrible combination. While the plumber, J.R. Smith at 43, looked good in the last game, but he is as up and down as they get. At small forward. LeBron James. He's at 12,500. It's expensive, but with how he's playing, how he consistently plays, it's really tough to go past using LeBron. So I think he's totally fine to use. Well, Jim Ennis is at 4,400. He started the last couple of games, had a big one, then had a small one, uh, just 15 in the last game in 30 minutes. But the minutes are up. It's an opportunity for Ennis here. He um, he has played well um, at stretches through his NBA career. So I think he's worth a look at that sort of a salary. Reggie Bullock's at 4,900. I think low upside, but actually pretty consistent in his playing time. So I don't mind using him. While Chetty Osman and Stan Johnson, I don't really see much there. Although... Again, big men out. Can Chetty play up at the four? At 3,600, I think a tournament would be the wise spot to try and test that theory out. Larry Nance Jr. is at 5,800. Um, he can very easily have 40. Give him 30 minutes and he's getting 45 points. Oh, I feel I feel good about that. I like Nance here. I think he's going to be a must-use cash guy. While Blake Griffin is at $8,000. Had a bit of a bounce back in his last game. He's at 44. He's done very well against the Cavs in the past. I think that he's a tournament sort of guy here. I'm just not fully trusting what he's doing shooting-wise. At center, Drummond at 10-1. Love it. There's, yeah, look, the centers he's going up against, he is going to get every rebound available pretty much. Looking at a, a potential 20-rebound type performance here from Drummond. I, I love this spot for him uh, against the Cavs. Ante Zizic at minimum salary. If Lance gets into foul trouble, they have literally got no other centers on this roster, and Jeff Green's played a fair bit of center for them this year. Now, Zizic might be forced into action, and that could be uh, it. Could be something that happens. We don't know that that's the case, but um, keep an eye on uh, on Ante Zizic of the Cleveland Cavaliers. On to DraftKings. I like Ish for a tournament at 51. I think he's worth a squeeze over on DraftKings, but not feeling super confident. George Hill at 5,000 and Corver at 35 have some tournament upside there as well. I love Jim Ennis at 34. That's a very, very cheap price for a starter who could play 30 minutes. LeBron is great. Drummond is great. And I like Blake Griffin at 7.9 as well. I think that's a decent price. And Nance at 5,300 is one of the more lockable cash options. I think I think it is the the pretty much the lock of the day on DraftKings at that sort of a salary at least. Okay, let's uh move on to the next game. We're going to talk about uh, who is it? It is the Milwaukee Bucks on a back-to-back against the Indiana Pacers on a back-to-back. The Pacers are favored by 3, another key game in the Pacers stretch here, which is a real tough stretch in order for them to try and establish themselves in the top 4 seeds. 
They're favored by three of the paces. The total is 208 and a half. Darren Collison, it's sort of around that return time. He got in a pretty vigorous workout before the game, but no word on whether he returns in this one. Uh, more likely to be the next game, while Trevor Booker is likely to make his debut for the Pacers in this one. For the Bucks, Tyler Zeller and Matty Dallavadova are both questionable. Dallavadova's been out with that ankle issue, while Zeller suffered that hard fall today. If Zeller's out, it's more minutes for McCurr, more for the Muppet John Henson. If Dally is out, it's more minutes for Jason Terry. So very little happening there, except maybe the Henson situation, which might become worthwhile. At point guard, Corey Joseph's at 4,200. Well, he had 26 today, which is you know, totally fine. If Collison's out, which I assume, I've got no problem with using Joseph at that lower salary as much as I shit on him as a fantasy producer. While Eric Bledsoe, 7,300. I really like this for Bledsoe. Point guard defense has been strong for the Pacers, but I think that Bledsoe can exceed that number regardless of the defense. Oladipo at 9.5. Man, just load this guy up every game pretty much. Crushing it, averaging 50 over the last three and 48 over his last five. I'll take that at 9,500 and I'll feel pretty good about it. Chris Middleton went to the locker room, uh, knocked knees with someone. He said he was fine. He returned to the game. He's at 7,100. Has a pretty good record against the Pacers. I just, I'm not sure at that price. And with the Jabari around and Yanni and Bledsoe and all these guys, it's just, he's just had the edge taken off a bit. Tone Snell and Sterling Brown, no, opposite fantasy leagues, maybe. Yanni Atadokounmpo, 11,300. Of course, we're always interested in using uh, Yanni, while Boyan Bogdanovich at 4,700. is on a really strong run at the moment. It could bite me in the ass by saying I'd use him in cash, but with the way that he's playing, I feel okay saying that he can get me at least 25 points with what's going on at the moment. At power forward, the Muppet, John Henson, 6,100. I want nothing to do with that. At that price, it's too expensive. If Zeller is out, then maybe, but uh, in the end, probably not. DeMontis Sabonis at 51, no thanks. While Thaddeus Young's at 58, the arrival of Trevor Booker also puts a dampener on both of those guys, I believe. Well, Jabari Parker at 5,300, he could very easily get to 30, but I think just because it is a... um. Uh, the second half of back-to-back, they might be a little bit cautious on the minutes, so I wouldn't be looking at him in any cash game. At center, Miles Turner's at 6,400. A good matchup for Miles, but still I don't have the confidence in relying upon him in cash, so he's a tournament guy. While Tyler Zeller and Thon McCurr, we're not really uh, getting too involved in those guys. And on DraftKings, Turner's at 63. Again, tournament guy, while the Muppet at 48. That's a really good price for John Henson. If Zeller's out, I'm really about that. Not... Not 100% cash, but I would definitely consider that for cash, but I love it for tournaments. Yanni, Oladipo, Eric Bledsoe, I think they've all got use here in cash games and in tournaments. While Middleton, again, I'm just a little bit sour on him, and the price doesn't do him any favors on DraftKings either. Let's go to the next game. We've got the Phoenix Suns. They're taking on the Miami Heat. The uh, the Heat are favored by 9.5, and, and the total is 216.5. Phoenix on a back-to-back. The Duke, Wayne Ellington, Tyler Johnson, and Bam Adebayo are all questionable for Miami, so lots of different ways that things can go. Of course, if Johnson and Ellington are out, then Dwayne Wade gets a bit of a boost. Justice Winslow gets a boost. If Bam is out, then Kelly Linick and Jim Johnson also get a boost in their numbers, but there's a lot of different combinations and permutations of the, of the way that that Heat lineup could run. Lord Alfred Payton was ejected for Phoenix today. I don't think there'll be any issue with any suspension or anything along those lines. At point guard, the iron shoulder, Goran Dragic, 7,200. You can say it's a revenge game all you want. I'll just say that the Suns are shit at defending point guards. He has a very good record against them, and he has got every chance to drop 40 here, so I really do like him. Tyler Johnson's at 5,000. 
if he plays and he's fine to go, uh, the the values there, the matchups there, that the price is good. Yeah, you, know, you could use him in cash, and I think you could feel pretty confident about it. While Lord Alfred Payton at seventy one hundred, the Heat have been really restrictive of opposition point guards, but Payton is averaging over forty on his last five, so I don't think it's a terrible move to use him at shooting guard. The Dukes at thirty eight, no thanks. Dwayne Wade's at forty nine. Some value opens up for Wade if Johnson and Allington are out, but we don't know that at this point. While Devin Booker at eight thousand two hundred, disappointing today, only twenty four points. A bounce back is always on the cards for Booker, so I do think that you can. Uh, can use him and feel okay in cash. Joshy Richardson at 6,400. I think that might be a bit high. I love Josh Richardson. You know that he's been crushing it this year. In fact, he's still averaging 35 over the last uh, over the last five games. I'm just not really 100% ready to go in in cash, but the matchup is great. The Suns are a little bit careless with the ball. We know he thrives on steals. He can block shots. He can score. He can do everything. So he's not a horrendous play, but probably just not in my best list of guys. Well, TJ Warren, they're just cranking the minutes through him. He's at 6,700, and I think that that's a fair bet that they do that again. Joshy Jackson at 56. Let's go tournaments with him. Just the uncertainty with the playing time is, is a pain in the ass. Well, Justice Winslow at 43, playing really well. Uh, had struggled earlier in the season, but 26 average over his last five. Not a problem with using him for tournaments, especially if uh, Johnson and Allington are out. Then I'd be I'd be in on Winslow for cash in that sort of scenario. At power forward, Jim Johnson's at 4,500. Uh, a return to 15-16, James Johnson, the last game, 29 points in 27 minutes. And if Bam is out, how good this matchup is, you know, 30 points is, is a is a realistic uh, assumption for what Johnson could get to. And that would, of course, make him a cash play at only 4,500. Kelly Lennox at 43, he'd be a, a guy to look at if Adebayo is absent as well. Um, but still look more towards tournaments. Bender, Chris, Adebayo, obviously Chris was awesome today. But expecting that is is unlikely. He's always a tournament wild card. While Bender, I'm not super excited about using him in any sort of fantasy format. At center, Tyson Chandler. We think he'll play. They did say earlier that he will play back-to-backs the rest of the way. I don't know why when they started the season not playing him in back-to-backs and they go into tank mode and now they're like, oh, we're going to play him. He's not that bad. He's a solid center. Uh, confusing logic. Anyway, 3,900 for Tyson. Um I think you could, if you, if he plays, I think you can use that in tournaments and get 27, 28, maybe 30 out of him. The minutes were fine in his first game back, surprisingly. Hassan Whiteside at 75. I think Whiteside's value is tied into Chandler. If Chandler plays 27, then Whiteside will get his 27 to 28 and he will probably put up 40. If Chandler doesn't play or plays only 18 minutes and it's Len or to be more frank, it's it's Chris and Bender together, then Whiteside could really struggle. So he would be a tournament guy, but that's really, really about it. Well, Alex Land, man, the two minutes today, that's it's really tough to go back and try and roster him after that sort of showing. On DraftKings, I love Peyton at 72. I love TJ Warren a lot at 6,100, but otherwise not much stands out to me as being great value. I think uh, Dragic is too highly priced. Uh, Devin Booker at 86 is probably in the too highly priced zone there as well. Josh Jackson at 62 also. Joshie Richardson at 63, also a little bit high. You could take a flyer on a Jim Johnson or Dwayne Wade if those uh, injury notifications go the uh, the way that you know they could potentially go or the way that they went in the last game. The next game, we take a look at the Celtics and the Bulls. 
The uh, Celtics are favoured by nine. The total is 216 points in this game. The Bulls have made a change to their starting lineup. Bobby Portis will be replacing Chris Felizio. No other changes. So David Nwaba, Zach Levine, Lowry Markkinen, and Chris Dunn are the other starters. We don't know if Justin Holiday will be back in the rotation. We don't know if Robin Lopez will be back in the rotation. At this point, I would guess Holiday is unlikely and Lopez maybe, but probably not. Um, for the Celtics, Daniel Vanilla Tice, he was apparently healthy to go for the last game and then didn't play, and now he's listed questionable with that hamstring issue. If he is out, then we're going to get some more Greggy Munro. As Greg runs in, we realise this could get dangerous. So I don't think we need to... Um, I don't think we need to care too much about those guys for DFS. At point guard, Rosier's at 4,500. 3,900, I'd be all about him for cash. Get me my 21, 22, and that's fine. I think he's a little bit too highly priced despite the positive matchup, while Kyrie's at 8,500. Uh, that's an expensive price. I think that Kyrie can get to 40 here. Can he get to 45? I'm just not sure the game's going to remain close enough for him to play that amount, so he's probably going to be on the fade side of things, while Chrissy Dunn at 6,600. Strong game from him last time out, 41 points. I'd still look more tournamenty here for him. At shooting guard, Marcus Smarts at 4,800 has been putting up decently consistent numbers around the 24-25 point mark, which gives him limited tournament upside and also a bit of a, uh, a bit of a shaky floor. Jalen Brown's at 51. That price is getting real sexy, but only for GPPs given how inconsistent he can be. While well, Zach Levine at 7,600, that's a pretty high price. So I think that that sort of a salary for Levine, you can use it, but I wouldn't be locking it in in all situations. The Hammer, Denzel Valentine, 5,200. I thought he might start, but no. Keep him on the bench for whatever bullshit reason Hoiberg's got. I think he's a tournament 30-point upside player. Uh, David Nwaba at 53. He's been putting out numbers. 31 average over the last five. I really like him here for cash, and he can be used in tournaments, especially with word that he will remain starting. Or Jason Tatum is down to 4,600. Because he has been struggling, he has done very, very little positive recently. But he is an excellent, excellent tournament player. A great matchup against the Bulls, a guy that can put up numbers, and, and the minutes opportunity is there. But will it be there? Will it, Are we confident in it? No, but the ability for him to have 35 here is definitely in the back of our minds, and that's why he's a GPP sort of a guy. Punchbob Shiplokes at 7,400. It's a big amount for Portis. If he plays 32 or 33 minutes, so I think he should be able to get enough value there. We know he's not going to have any uh, sort of shyness in terms of taking shots. So I think he is worth a look. But that price gave me a level of pause. While Marcus Morris at 5,000, just he is constantly just churning out 25, 26-point nights. And that's why I do like him for cash here. At center, Al Horford's been terrible, and that makes him a great GPP contrarian guy. Go against the grain, get low ownership, and expect a bounce back or a breakout against the defenseless Punchbob Shiplock, who cannot defend for, for shit, and Horford should be able to have a big game here. Felizio at 41, Bainsey, Munro, very little interest in any of those guys. On uh, DraftKings, I like Irving at 8,800. I like the bonus point system there for the threes. It helps him. Punchbob at 62 is really strong. Love that salary for him. While Zach Levine at 66, I also, also think is close to a cash lock. The Hammer Denzel Valentine's at 4,700. Got some tournament upside there. Markinen didn't talk about him on Fangio. He's okay, but I like him more on DraftKings at $5,900. All right. Let's uh, go to the next one. We've got the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs. 
Wayne Selden not on the injury report, so we assume that he is ready to go. Marcus Sol is questionable and Deontay Davis is questionable. We have uh, already ruled out Mario Chalmers, Andrew Harrison, and Tyreek Evans. So that is their first three string for th- their first three point guards on the depth chart are all out. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time in Memphis. Jarrell Martin is also listed as probable with a right knee issue. At point guard, Pat Mills is at five. Oh, actually, LaMarcus Aldridge questionable as well for the Spurs. I should mention that. If Aldridge is out, we're going to see more Bertans and more uh, Joffrey Laverne. At point guard, Pat Mills at 5,000. He will likely continue to start. I don't have faith in him as a you know, lock-in sort of a player. He is a tournament upside guy, and this matchup could work in his favor. Tone Parker, no interest. And the Grizzlies just recently signed Xavier Rathan Mays as their backup point guard. So he is going to have to play because there are no other ball handlers or point guards on this team. So I think uh, Rathan Mays is going to play. You would have to be the ballsiest contrarian sort of guy to, to throw him into a lineup, but... The other option they have at point guard is Kobe Simmons. So it's uh it's interesting. If he's even available on these DFS sites, because he's not on uh he's not on Fangel Rate the May, so we'll see how that goes. I don't know if he's on DraftKings. I should I've got it in front of me. I'll right, have a look. Um He is on DraftKings at 3400, so maybe, maybe. Uh shooting guard. I oh, actually the other I didn't talk about that. DeJounte Murray at seven thousand seven hundred on Fangel. That's just a very, very high price. I know he's been playing well. I just think that, that price is probably gonna lead me to fade that. Kobe Simmons is listed as a shooting guard, but he will likely be the starting point guard. He's at thirty seven hundred and that's very, very hard to go past. He has had a twenty nine point game earlier this season in only sixteen minutes, and you get twenty nine out of him here, you'll be wrapped, and he's got an opportunity of thirty or thirty plus minutes in this game. Real good opportunity. Benny McLemore I don't believe it, but he played well. 37 minutes last game, 38 minutes, 4,200. He's going to have to play again. He'll have to handle the ball a little bit more. He's a good rebounder. At 4,200, why not? He's going to have to play. No Tyreek, no Harrison, no Chalmers. He's going to have to play big minutes. Dan Green is at 4,900. I just I don't really see the value there in him. Manu, Wayne Selden, Bryn Forbes, really little interest there either. At small forward, Dylan Brooks is at 4,000. That's fine, but he just has done nothing really fantasy-wise at all. Maybe in a tournament you throw him in because somebody has to do something, but that's as strongly as I feel about that. Or Kyle Anderson at 6,100. I just think that's a bit high for Kyle. Um, maybe he gets there, but I think his floor's too low. I think his ceiling's too low also. Rudy Gay at 4,400. If Aldridge is out, I think Gay at 4,400 is a tournament guy. But in cash, I wouldn't want to touch it. And if Aldridge plays, I'd probably end up leaving that alone also. At Power Forward, Aldridge is at 8,900. We don't know if he will play in this one with the ankle problem. He is, uh, I think he's worth a tournament look, but that that is it. Well, Jarrell Martin at 47, playing super strong. Uh, 32 average over his last three. If Gasol and Davis are out, then I'm all about Jarrell Martin here. I'll be smashing that in cash, but we don't know if Deontay or Mark are out at this point. Jermichael Green at 6-1, obviously more expensive than Jarrell Martin. He dropped 49 in that big game that I talked about earlier. That's a huge performance from Green. And of course, if Gasol and Davis are out, I'm all about it. But his value is taken away by the fact that his salary has increased. But I don't think it's increased to a crazy level. And I'd be okay with considering him. At center, Davis at 4,100. Well, he, if he plays and Gasol is out, Deontay Davis, there's a real opportunity for him there. And I'd really like that in cash. But we don't know that at this point. Power at 6,600 could really turn the tables on these guys. If Aldridge is out, I'm all about power here. If Aldridge is in, I'd probably fade. But if Aldridge is out, 
and Marcus Sol is out, then I think Power becomes one of the better, higher price locks of the day. As for Marcus Sol, 8,300. Um, yeah, probably not. Just the uncertainty of the two injuries, the Spurs defensive system, probably going to end up there with me leaving him alone. On DraftKings, Kobe Simmons at 37, as I talked about earlier. Got love the opportunity. Uh, Xavier Rathamay Mays at 3,400. Hey, maybe in a tournament you look at that. And pretty much everything else sticks on uh, DraftKings as opposed to Fangio, except I really like DeJounte Murray on DraftKings. 6,400, a great price, and I think that he has some cash value. I think you can, you know, power at 65, the same story. Jermichael Green at 68, that's definitely too high unless those guys are injured. And Jarrell Martin at 53 could become a super strong option if Gasol and or Davis happen to be out. Let's go on to the next game now. We've got the Orlando Magic and the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are favored by 10. The total is 206.5 points. Rashad Vaughn is questionable for Orlando, and you should not care about that at all. At point guard, ravishing Rick Rubio is at 7,100 point guards against the Magic. It is generally a good time. So Rubio in tournaments, this would be a great opportunity to use him. I don't think I'm ready to go in there with cash, but he did have 38 in his last game, which should obviously return enough value at that price. DJ Augustine at 4,900. The minutes have been consistent. The production's been consistent. He's just as likely to shit on our faces here. But I do think that he is worth a look as a cheap point guard. And even in cash, I have a, I have a level of confidence that I probably shouldn't have in DJ. At shooting guard, the Don, Donovan Mitchell, 7,900. Let's go. It's, it's a great matchup. You know, 40 points is not a stretch. It, it should feel pretty good at that higher price. While Evan Fournier at 62. I just think it's too high for Fournier. I think you can do much better with the $6,200 salary. At small forward, Jingle and Joe's at 6000 I will fade that. John Simmons at 44 Yeah, tournament only for him while Mario Hazonia at 45 Big game for Mario in the last game, but uh, I think I'll leave it to me alone, while Royce O'Neal at 38 is not really doing much. Derek Favors at 58 I love the matchup for Favors. He averages 38 against this Magic team. He's up and down. I think he's more of a tournament guy here, and he's not really usually a tournament guy. Well, Jay Crowder at 48. I feel that Jay Crowder's going to get me 25. I don't think he's going to get me 30. I don't think he's got 40 upside, but I think he'll get me 25, and I'm pretty okay with that, enabling me to put other guys, Yanni, LeBron, those sort of guys, into lineups. As Gordon's at 7,300, really playing well. The matchup is a nightmare for him, though, so I think under those circumstances, he's a fade. Bismack Biombo, Yonish Repko, and John Isaac, no. Rudy Gobert at 9,200, that is a lot. But Gobert has always done well against the Magic. Centers do well against the Magic. Gobert is on a really hot streak at the moment. No worries with that. Well, Nick Vucevic at 8,700, um has been playing pretty well. Centers have done okay recently against the uh, against the Jazz. I wouldn't be looking at Nick as a tournament guy, but I think with Vucevic, you, uh, sorry, as a cash guy, I think as a tournament guy, you can uh, you can have a look at him, and he does have the ability to put up big games. We've seen that from him plenty of times. Over on DraftKings, if Vuce and Gobert, same sort of story. The Don I like, as Gordon at 7,000, that price is down enough for me to consider him. But Fournier is one who's real different between the two sides. 5,700 for him on DraftKings, and I'm totally fine with that. I think that's a strong cash play with very limited tournament upside. Well, DJ Augustine, again, a value proposition at 4,800. 
Let's go through this last game of the night. It's the Trailblazers. They're taking on the LA Lakers. Portland's favored by two, and the total is 223.5, the largest of the night. Brandon Ingram missed the game over the weekend. He is questionable, supposed to have an MRI on his hip. We haven't heard the results yet, while Mo Harkless also missed over the weekend with a patella strain. If he is out, it's more minutes for Shabazz Napier and Evan Turner. At point guard, Dame Lillard's at 9,400. I like using Lillard here. I don't think you can be too turned off. Well, 6,100 for Isaiah Thomas. At 5,600, that's a no-brainer. At 61, um, I think if we have uh, Ingram out, I'll be interested in Isaiah at that sort of a salary uh, for cash. But for now, he's just a tournament guy. Well, Lonzo Ball, just killing it at the moment. 7,300 for Lonzo. Dropped 50 in the last game. No worries using him now. Blazers point guards. Defense has been excellent all season. Lonzo does things a little bit different to other point guards. I still think he can drop a 35 here with relative ease. At shooting guard, McCollum's at 7,400. No, tournaments only. I'm just not happy with the way he's doing things. In fact, Contavious Coral Pope, amazingly, has been more consistent. 6,400 for KCP. While I wouldn't want to lock him in or use him in cash necessarily, I don't think it's a a horrible move to, uh, to consider that. At small forward, Mo Harkless is at 38. No. Brandon Ingram at 6,900. If Ingram's ready to go, I think you throw him into a tournament because you're just not sure how the minutes would go coming off this hip flexor issue, but he would be a strong option otherwise. Or Evan Turner, um, yeah, probably not. At power forward, the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma's at 5,600. I like Kuzma here. He's a chance to start at power forward. I think this is a strong value play for cash with tournament upside. Well, Julius Randle at 7'5". Power forwards have done very well against the Blazers. He has played well himself lately. His lowest score, lowest in his last five is 37, which is fantastic. So he is absolutely fine to get out there. While the Chief, Al Farouk Aminu. Sometimes may be good, sometimes may be shit. He was shit in the last game. 12 points, 5,200. It's a great matchup, really positive one, but I can't be positive enough to use him in cash tournaments only. At center, Zach Collins, awesome on the weekend, outplayed Aminu and took some of his minutes. I don't know if that'll be a consistent thing. In fact, I'd say it probably won't be. Stay off him. If it's a Zubat's the same thing. Brookie Lopez at 49, no interest. And Yusuf Nurkic, you can't trust Nurkic with playing time with production. So if you're going to do it, it's a tournament only type spot for him. On DraftKings, I like Randall at 75. I like Isaiah at 57. That's a great option. And the future MVP at 5,400. Lonzo at 7,300 might be pushing a little bit too high, but I don't think it's egregious to even consider him a cash option. He is, Lonzo is definitely a, an option there, just given how well he's playing. And 9-7 for Lillard is always in play as a cash, uh, cash situation as well. Let's just round out the uh, last couple of sites. On Yahoo for tournaments, Blake Griffin, Punchbob, Shiploke, Ish Smith, Georgie Hill, Al Farouk Aminu, Tyson Chandler, Shabazz Napier, Chetty Osman. And for cash and tournaments, Justice Winslow, Eddie Davis, Kobe Simmons, Dylan Brooks, Benny McLemore, Jim Ennis, Pat Mills, Jay Crowder, DJ Augustine, Reggie Bullock, Corey Joseph, The Hammer, Denzel Valentine, Larry Nance Jr., Kyrie Irving, Nick Vucevic, Rudy Gobert, Yanni, and LeBron James. On Moneyball for tournaments, Vucevic, Blake Griffin, Al Horford, Denzel the Hammer Valentine, Georgie Hill. And then for cash and tournaments, we've got Kobe Simmons, Ben McLemore, Jim Ennis, Reggie Bullock, Marcus Morris, Nwaba, the future MVP, Corwell Pope, Joshy Richardson, Miles Turner, Lonzo, the Iron Shoulder, Larry Nance, Bob Portis, the Don, Rudy Gobert, Drummond, Depot, 
under the Kumpo and LeBron and rounding it out with draft stars for tournaments. Rudy Gobert, Al Horford, Ish Smith, Reggie Bullock, Kyle Korver, The Plumber, Chetty Osman, and for cash, Kobe Simmons, Jim Ennis, Jay Crowder, Corey Joseph, David Nwaba, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Nance, Julius Randle, Levine, Punch Bob, Vucevic, Oladipo, Antetokounmpo, and LeBron James. Again, don't forget, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, go and leave a five-star rating and a review. It's a great way to help out this show. And check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net. Check out Locked On NBA that I hosted today talking Thunder, Rockets, and Pacers over there. You can also find this podcast on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. And of course, on YouTube, give a thumbs up, leave a comment, and subscribe. Heading into fantasy playoffs and head-to-head leagues, the business end of the season for rotisserie. Hopefully, your teams are going well. Hopefully, your DFS stuff is going well. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. The Brooklyn Nets. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.